Hi there and welcome to another podcast from the 22nd Annual ANZICS Clinical Trials Group Meeting from Noosa, Australia. Resuscitation of patients in septic shock is a core skill for emergency physicians and intensivists across the globe. At present, international guidelines favour front-loading resuscitation with several litres of crystalloid before initiation of vasopressor therapy, but this view is changing. Joining me today is Stephen MacDonald. Stephen is a staff specialist in emergency medicine at Royal Perth Hospital and a research fellow at the Centre for Clinical Research in Emergency Medicine at the Harry Perkins Institute in Perth, Australia. He joins me on the podcast today to discuss the progress of the Arise Fluids Research Program, designed to explore this issue in more detail. This podcast is sponsored by Baxter Healthcare, and we're grateful to them for their support in making this podcast. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Todd. Good to be with you. Stephen, where has the practice of large volume resuscitation in sepsis come from? What's the background to it? Since really the last 20 years, we've uh, had the advent of early goal-directed therapy. And what we've seen over that time is a substantial reduction in sepsis mortality, um, really since the introduction of uh, you know, the RIVERS protocol. And that included, amongst a number of things, a uh, fairly aggressive uh, fluid strategy. Um, and what we saw with the subsequent trials um, like ARISE and PROMISE and PROCESS was that although the, um, the mortality has come down over time, in fact, the, um, and there was no significant differences in the groups between the early goal-directed therapy and the, the usual care groups. In fact, within both the groups in all of those trials, um, substantial amounts of fluid were delivered. And what we've seen is really that fluid resuscitation has become an established part of usual care. And I think really that's probably the basis of where the surviving sepsis campaign recommendations for at least 30 mils per kilogram of initial fluid resuscitation have come from. Although the, um, they do say in the guidelines that although that's a strong recommendation, it, it isn't supported by high level of, of evidence. So it's really an association that we've seen over time. What's the um, the pathophysiological reasons or, or benefits, theoretical benefits behind giving such high volumes of fluids? The rationale is to optimise stroke volume and, and cardiac output. So in the patient who's presenting uh, with hypoperfusion in the context of sepsis, um, optimising uh, venous return to optimise stroke volume um, is really the rationale. But what we know is that the physiology is, is actually a lot more complex than we uh, often understand in terms of uh, the, the pathophysiology of shock and the uh, hemodynamic uh, modifications that happen uh, within shock. Um, so the, and the other challenge is obviously um, in the initial resuscitation phase, particularly in the emergency department, actually being able to measure stroke volume accurately is a challenge. So often we, we give fluid uh, to you know, optimise uh, the patient's volume status, um, but really it's a, it's a challenging thing to actually assess clinically. And you know, often we're left you know, looking at blood pressure, heart rate, and a range of uh, clinical parameters rather than actually accurately measuring uh, what it is that we're actually trying to modify. 
Stephen, the flip side of this coin is what seems to be almost an avoidance of vasopressors. Is there a reason why uh, clinicians are reluctant to give vasopressors or is it more that it's simply following the protocol, do you think? I think there's practical uh, difficulties. Uh, clearly, uh, starting somebody on vasopressors requires them to be admitted to a critical care bed in high dependency or intensive care ward, and uh, that's obviously a limited resource. Um, I think historically, um, conventionally giving vasopressors required putting in a central line, which is clearly sometimes a barrier as well. Although I think what we've seen in recent years is more acceptance of, at least in the initial phases, commencing vasopressors uh, peripherally. Uh, so, so often for these uh, operational reasons, that may impact on, on clinicians' reluctance historically. But I think that's something that we're definitely seeing changing over time. So I guess there's a, an emerging theory then that's challenging the dogma that early fluids and then subsequent vasopressors may benefit patients, that perhaps if we reverse that process or limit the amount of fluids by administering vasopressors earlier may actually benefit patients. Is there any evidence to support that uh, at this point in time? So the interest in this, I think, really came probably out of uh, the trials that were done in Africa, particularly the FEAST tri uh, trial, uh, which is uh, over a decade ago now, which uh, found that in children with hypoperfusion in the setting of infection, that uh, early fluid resuscitation was actually associated with harm. But there's obviously been a challenge in taking the results from um, those settings into practice in, in places like Australia and New Zealand, for example, uh, where obviously population healthcare systems are very different. The, um, the theoretical basis or, or, the, or the evidence around um, giving less fluids um, is really based on an increasing understanding of concerns around, you know, for example, uh, um, you know, reflex failures uh, of dilatation as opposed to from a, from a fluid bolus and um, concerns about pro-inflammatory effects of fluids, for example. Um, there are animal models which uh, suggest that um, uh, rapid fluid boluses may actually um, you know, result in um, exacerbation of the shock type scenario, but we really don't have good clinical data about the early resuscitation phase in, in our setting. What we do know is in intensive care um, populations, um, there's good observational data that uh, shows that a positive fluid balance in the setting of uh, sepsis is an independent predictor of uh, mortality and adverse outcomes. And certainly there's uh, some data that says uh, that uh, a de-resuscitation or a fluid restrictive strategy in the intensive care unit may be of benefit for example, the, the classic um, trial, which was a, a pilot uh, clinical trial looking at a fluid-restricted strategy in the ICU, found that there was reduced complications and, and organ dysfunction, although no impact on mortality, but clearly it wasn't powered for that endpoint. But in the classic trial, participants had received more than four litres of fluid before they got randomised in the trial. So what we really don't have good evidence for is the early resuscitation phase, what happens in that initial phase in the emergency department and uh, you know, before the patient reaches the ICU and whether that period of time is actually important in terms of the overall volume that the patient uh, receives. So you've taken up the challenge along with your colleagues of trying to figure it, this out for us. 
with the Arise Fluids program of research. Can you tell us what the two approaches in this trial are? How are they different? So the approach that we've taken uh, with the Arise Fluids trial is really, first of all, to actually look at what is current practice. And when we've surveyed um, practice um, across emergency departments in Australia and New Zealand, what we found is there is actually quite widespread variation in practice. And I think that really is a reflection of the uncertainty around this issue. So, for example, your patients are being resuscitated for septic shock in the emergency departments um, are, are receiving, uh, you know, a median volume of uh, fluids in 24 hours of about 4.8 litres, but an interquartile range of less than three up to over six litres. And similarly, in terms of uh, timing of uh, or, or introduction of vasopressors, again, a median of two litres prior to the commencement of vasopressors in those patients in whom those were started, but again, an interquartile range of 1.2 to 3 litres. So what we know is that practice does vary. And what we've tried to do with the trial is really reflect um, both arms or or both, um, I guess, uh, aspects of that spectrum of care. So Arise Fluids is essentially a comparative effectiveness trial looking at those strategies. Um, And uh, so briefly, patients who meet the criteria for the trial uh, will all have received between one and two litres of initial resuscitation fluid, um, and they will be requiring ongoing hemodynamic resuscitation. And uh, in the view of the treating clinician, there will be equipoise about whether additional fluids or whether commencing vasopressors is the right thing to do. So in the fluids arm of the trial, they will simply receive further resuscitation fluids uh, according to the clinical judgment, really the usual practice about what uh, people would normally do, give fluids uh, until you think the patient is no longer fluid responsive, and then if required, commence vasopressors as really we would conventionally do. In the vasopressors arm of the trial, the first intervention will be actually to cease fluid resuscitation and to commence a vasopressor infusion and then target uh, the titration of that to whatever the desired uh, uh, arterial pressure um, target is. And then fluid resuscitation can still be administered in the vasopressor arm according to clinical judgment around, for example, persistent tachycardia, um, rapidly increasing vasopressor requirement, oliguria, et cetera. So, So really what we're trying to do is just to reflect the spectrum of usual practice in both arms of the trial. What are the outcomes that you'll be looking for? So the outcomes that we um, are interested in are a range of um, both mortality and quality of uh, life outcomes. One of the things that we've seen in the last uh, few years as sepsis mortality has come down is an increasing focus on the quality of survival. We know that a third of patients who survive ICU uh, with an episode of sepsis haven't returned to usual their previous level of function by six months. So for young people that can mean return to work for elder people, older people can mean a lot a loss of independence. So our primary outcome in the trial is uh, um, hospital free survival at 90 days post randomization. And that's really designed to capture both mortality, um, but also uh, reflect the length of time the patient stays in hospital, which is a marker for uh, severity of illness and so on. 
Um, we'll also be collecting um, uh, outcomes, organ failure uh, outcomes, such as uh, ventilator-free you know, survival to 28 days, vasopressor-free um, days, and uh, renal replacement-free days. We're also interested in looking at uh, mortality at both six and 12 months, and we're also looking at a range of quality of life and uh, disability uh, measures. Uh, and all of these outcome measures, we have um, have been close consultation with uh, consumers with lived experience of septic shock. And what we hope to do is capture um, the range of, uh, of, of, of outcomes which are actually of importance, not just to clinicians, but also to, to um, consumers. Finally, Stephen, whereabouts are you in the journey uh, that this, um, this study is taking you? So we are at the stage of um, having our um, ethics approvals for our Australian sites and uh, close to having our final approvals in, in New Zealand and working through our governance process with our initial sites. And we hope to be underway with recruitment um, by the middle of uh, this year. Um, we expect to uh, bring on uh, sites over the second half of the year uh, with the ultimate aim of having uh, at least 50 sites uh, involved in the trial. So it's getting to an exciting stage and we're looking forward to getting uh, recruitment underway. If there are people out there who are interested in getting involved, how would they do so? ANZIC's uh, Clinical Trials Group uh, website or the ASIM uh, Clinical Trials Network, both of which have uh, endorsed the trial. Um, their websites so have the contact information uh, for the trial um, uh, or contact uh, you know, any of the, the chief investigators, uh, myself, um, in the emergency medicine community and uh, my your co-lead investigators, you know, Professor Sandy Peake um, from ICU. Um, both of us would be delighted to hear from people who've got uh, further questions about the trial. Stephen, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast and all the best with the study. Thanks very much, Todd. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Get access to hundreds of podcast interviews, modules, journal reviews, quizzes and articles by downloading our free app. Search for My Osler wherever you get your apps or visit the website at oslacommunity.com.